This podcast, Ian Mosby talks with Phyllis Tickle about emergence Christianity and new monasticism. This podcast was recorded in the middle of an electrical storm over Phyllis Tickle's country home in the south of the United States. This is the first of two podcasts with Phyllis. It is with great pleasure that today I have the opportunity to dialogue with Phyllis Tickle, writer, historian, lecturer and cultural observer. Amongst a great number of books, Phyllis authored the book The Great Emergence, which has a lot of profound things to say about church, cultural change, and the role of forms of monasticism to help the church recontextualise from one cultural epoch to another. So welcome, Phyllis. Well, thank you. It's lovely to be here. So, Phyllis, just kicking off then immediately with some things coming out of your, your book, The Great Emergence. You know, what are your hopes? Uh, what are you hopeful about with the church in our increasingly post-Christendom and post-Christian times? First of all, um, can we separate Christianity from the Church? Uh, I, I, which I know it's a sort of heretical statement, isn't it, right off the bat? Uh, <laughs> uh, I think that there's no question Christianity is growing. Um, if, if we look at the statistics, just, just in August last year, uh, George Barna Research Institute in this country uh, gave some rather dramatic figures about uh, what I would call emergence practice. In, uh, in the U.S. I don't have figures for the rest of the world. I don't think they've been calculated yet, but he showed that something like 32.8% of uh, North Americans, uh, and he described it by praxis, are, form, are doing some form of emergence Christianity right now. And uh, so Christianity itself, I think, is growing and spreading. I'm not sure that the church, as we have traditionally defined it, is the same as the Christianity that is coming, uh, or that is emerging amongst us, or that we are seeing coming up. Bonhoeffer, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and, and you can spend, as you know, hours talking about <laughs> what Bonhoeffer meant by religionless Christianity, uh, and I'm perfectly aware that what he meant in 1945 may be a bit different from what his term has come to mean. Nonetheless, I think it was a pretty prescient observation on his part, whatever the motivation. That is that Christianity, uh, as it is changing and morphing in this time, in the great emergence, um, is definitely deinstitutionalized. If you wanted to give it any single uh, adjective that would qualify it, it would be deinstitutionalized Christianity, which is to say that if by church... Um, we mean uh, a hierarchy and an institutional arrangement, um, then um, the church is perhaps uh, suffering some sort of reconfiguration. It, whether we mean the traditional church or some form of new community-based lateral emergence formation, uh, using the term emergence to mean um, a different form of complexity and arrangement, um, then um, there is a new church coming, and it uh, yes. we will call it church, and it will indeed um, be a bit um, different from what we've had. Every time we've gone through one of these upheavals, and we've done it now uh, several times, every time we've gone through one of these, whatever form of religion or the church, if you want to use that word, um, whatever form held hegemony, held pride of place, mm. has simply 
drop back and reconfigure to make room for the new form that was forthcoming, um, in this case called Emergence Christianity. But every single time, whatever was has continued in some different form, and the faith has spread. And that, that uh, without any qualification, is what we're seeing now. We're seeing a spread of Emergence Christianity. It is deinstitutionalized. We're seeing a concomitant drop in participation in organized church, quote, in quote. If, uh, so if the church may be defined as the body of God on earth, then the church is in great shape. If the church is being defined as the institution um, that has evolved for the last 500 years in Protestantism, for the last 1,000 years in Roman Catholicism, for the last 1,500 years in Latinized Christianity, yada, 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 then it's going through an upheaval, and change is always painful. Um, Do you want to say and, something a bit more about what you are kind of, what are the main sensibilities and attributes of the uh, emergence Christianity as you yeah, describe uh, it? Yeah, emergence Christianity is... Um, it is beginning to develop what is to me. A I, I should I should begin this by saying I'm more a student of this than an actual um, participant in it. I suppose that is to say I don't think I'm a fully emergent Christian. Um, if there be such yeah. a thing as a pure one, I'm what's called a hyphenated. I've, I've fooled with this long enough now uh, to to be an Anglo emergent, as as you know, because we <laughs> chuckled about it several times. That is, uh, when I when I die, I want to die Anglican. Uh, I want to be buried <laughs> by a priest who smells of incense and is you know swinging a thurbifor and chanting. Um, but uh, I, the emergence uh, theology seems to me, or as it is now beginning to mature. Um, and it's just been, I think you, in all fairness, can say it's been in the last 10 years that we've begun to see some really uh, dramatic uh, theological thinking um, coming in from emergence leaders. The characteristics of it are both structural and theological. Structurally, obviously, mm. it is uh, a non-hierarchical. Um, it is categorically uh, allergic to real estate for that reason, uh, because when you own the building, you have to have somebody to clean it, and then you have to have somebody to insure it, and then you have to have somebody to oversee, you know, who's cleaning and who is insuring, and then somebody to oversee the overseer, and first thing you know, you've got bishops again, uh, and, mm -hmm. and you're right back. So that it, it is also um, remarkably, structurally, remarkably willing to be transient or transitory, to be uh, enthusiastically present um, where it is for two or three years, and then split and uh, like, a, like a seed pod bursting, go and form uh, new groups uh, from what was the parent group, uh, Kirk and Chicks, I think you all call it. But anyway, so that structurally, uh, it is a shared responsibility. It is extremely communal. It is suspicious of the credentials. Uh, a leader, uh, the, the leadership has to go where the gifts seem to be. It is far more interested in teachings uh, than in homily. It is definitely far more narrative, uh, and I, I do like that. Far mm. more narrative than propositional in what it wants. It is deeply and radically Trinitarian in a way that I suspect Christianity has not been for 2,000 years. Mm. Certainly Latinized Christianity has not been for 1,000 years since the Great Schism in 1054. I think you can even make an argument now that Orthodoxy was never as completely Trinitarian, perhaps, as it is apparent that uh, emergence theology is going to become, or is well on its way to becoming, radically obedient, um, deeply involved in social justice, though, must 
say that every time I use that term, I have to qualify it. Mm. And that is to say that uh, social justice sounds like a good, um, I don't want to be offensive, but a good Methodist or Presbyterian term. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you go and do something for somebody. Uh, yes. You know, uh, we all gather as a congregation at 9 o'clock on Saturday morning, and we're going to go build um, uh, a house for someone who needs one, or we're going to go man a soup kitchen or whatever. And at 4 o'clock, somebody has been housed or somebody has been fed, uh, and that's just wonderful. But emergence, by and large, would say to you, all right, um, so what have you done beyond that which a, a good secular humanist would do? It makes its enlightened self-interest to be sure that nobody is running around homeless. They become expensive, or nobody is uh, that nobody is thirst uh, hungry uh, because that too makes illness, and that's expensive. So long, the argument would be, so long as you have done it for them, mm. or so long as I have done it for them. We have done it for them. We have done what is called, at least in this country, an act of inhumane kindness. That is to say that um, that uh, we've done no, we've done nothing uh, for our souls or theirs. Uh, yes. it, 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 the emergence point of view is this is who we are. This is the kingdom of God here. Uh, this is a part of me that is homeless. This is a part of me that is hungry. And so I feed myself and I house myself by building this house, by manning this soup mm. kitchen. It's an entirely different and far more Christ-like uh, position. And this nature, the whole business of the kingdom of God and the, law, the loss of emphasis on individualized salvation, uh, that is, the, you know, it's, it's all about me buying heavenly insurance or sweet Jesus in the by and by. It's sweet Jesus now, and he's going to kick some butt unless you get off of yours and, <laughs> and begin to realize this is it. Uh, yeah. I, I love it when, I, I don't know uh, how much this happens in Europe, but um, in American uh, emergence, uh, you hear a whole lot of, of say, remember, uh, if you read the book of Revelation, if you read the Revelation, uh, the city of God is on this earth, uh, and uh, it's, it's, that's a, you know, it, it's not somewhere in the sweet vine by It's here, brother and sister, and you better do what you can to make it a good and proper. And, of course, the, the communal thing. Um, because authority ultimately rests in the community, and when I am speaking, um, both in Europe and in this country, when I am speaking, um, sometimes the more traditional Christian, really, um, it's the it's the authority question uh, that just causes enormous angst. What do you mean, some bishop or pope or whatever yes. is is not telling you what to do? Mm. Um, and it, it pleases me to say yes. And Wikipedia is six percent more accurate than Britannica Encyclopedia, <laughs> uh, which yeah. is and that's a yes. fact. I can even footnote it, which yes. of course is to say that uh, the shift has gone to communal. And the minute I say that, also to discernment, which plays a huge, huge part mm. in emergence theology, the community in discernment, not me discerning, uh, but us discerning um, yes. what the Spirit is saying to us. And mm. um, and one of the, I, I don't know um, whether one talks books a lot uh, this way or not, but one of the seminal books that has come out in the last few months is Harvey Cox, who is emeritus uh, Harvard, and perhaps the most respected religionist in, in the U.S., um, Harvey Cox's Future of Faith, yes. in which he argues that um, what we are going through right now is the equivalent of what happened when we changed from Anno Domini, to, well, from before the Common Era to Common Era that we have indeed 
entered the age of the spirit. Uh, and yes. he even quotes the medieval mystics who said that was going yes. to happen. But clearly from Azusa Street, from the experience uh, at Azusa, uh, Azusa Street in, in 1907, 1906, when um, Pentecostalism was born, you can see the seeds of emergence Christianity there. Mm. And it is in not heavily Trinitarian, but it is also heavily involved in discernment from the Spirit and through the Spirit, uh, corporately, as the Spirit is sought corporately, which is part of its communion mm. thing, of course. And, of course, of its neo-monasticism, too. Yeah. A long answer. Forgive me. I that's okay. No, that's good. <laughs> the, 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 the immediacy of the kingdom, uh, its yes. physical presence right here, its yes. Trinitarianism, its radical uh, obedience, and its real belief that, you know, when he said that tree will get up and go in the middle of the ocean if you have sufficient faith, uh, to believe that, not only um, with your words, but to believe that with your life, um, that's a startling form. Mm. The one thing that's kind of made an impression on me is uh, is the conference that you were involved in with Richard Ruhr and Brian McLaren and and Shane Claiborne. That seems to have caused quite a lot of ripples because the DVDs I see are flying all over the world. Um, coming out of that conference. That seemed to me to be a significant moment in the US, where I think we've had significant moments like that in the UK. But has there been, has that sent kind of waves across the United States as much as it's perceived to have done? Uh, I think it has. Um, And we're going to to have a go at something similar in in December. and uh, and actually, Richard and Brian had had a go uh, two or three months ago, uh, continuing um, a flow of energy, if you will, or uh, are, are going down that trail that has been open. Yes, I think that was seminal, and I think there is a, a well. There's several reasons for it. Obviously, Richard Rohr would be a reason in and of himself. Yes. Uh, but the the presence of uh, the Roman Catholic um, as host. Uh, for that meeting, um, and uh, the the clear evidence of uh, Protestantism and uh, of Roman Catholicism meeting mm-hmm. together in that context, uh, I think had the effect of broadening the audience, uh, for one thing, in this country and around the world, and also showing that this is indeed, uh, as all of us have said, a new thing that God is doing. And well, I, I say very often, we have to remember that 500 years ago, all Protestants were made out of Roman Catholics because that's all there was to make them out of. Um, and at this time around, uh, uh, all emergents are being made out of Roman Catholics and Protestants because that's all there yes. is to make them out of. And to some extent, of course, uh, Anglicans, and a heavy extent, Anglicans, and to some extent, ortho, uh, Orthodox. But... Mm. Uh, Certainly the bulk uh, of Christians in this world are Protestant, are Roman Catholic. Um, And when those two bodies come together and begin to create uh, or begin to people, I guess, um, what it is that's happening, then I think you've got exponential increase in potency Mm. and in reach. I think you're absolutely right. Mm. I think what we're kind of focusing here in the UK is that we have been slightly obsessed with engagement with the de-church, those fallen out of church. I think increasingly what we're realizing here that we're in a post-secular culture where we need to attend far more to those who are spiritually seeking and never churched and spiritual and not religious. And that I think Absolutely. is something, and that's where, is that happening in the States as much as it's happening here? 
Oh, oh yes, uh, absolutely. We talk knee jerks, non jerks, and non jerks uh, because those are good, uh, very useful distinctions in terms if one is is uh, concerned, especially with institutional churches, and trying to figure out who stole their cookies. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> to put it to put it in vocab in a colloquial way, um, but uh, the the thrust of the Christian mission and the Christian message in this country is quite definitely, as you say, um, to those who are religionless Christians, who, 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 wish to, uh, who, who wish to have that faith without the accretion of, of certainly the last thousand years uh, of Latinized structure uh, on top of them. So, yes, and um, I, I'm going to next year be hold up writing a book on emergence Christianity, and then after that intend to turn, uh, pray God, the Valente, um, and turn my attention to the very business of uh, the spiritual but not religious. I used to say uh, in my own stupidity that it was like saying that I'm human and don't have flesh and blood. Uh, that's absolutely wrong. Uh, it, is, uh, it is entirely part. I think when we say spiritual and not religious, what we may mean is, is Christian and not structured. Um, yes. And uh, I want to explore what that means, what that means for those of us who, who are believers um, and um, are living that way, and those mm. of us who are believer, believers and living another way, uh, and see where the interface is, if there is indeed an interface there. Mm. But definitely spiritual and not religious is a big, big part of emergence Christianity. So taking taking that as being what I think we're all suddenly realizing is the mission context of church. How do you think the church is going to look in a hundred years from now? Will it still be around? <laughs> Will it be recognizable? Don't we wish we knew. Oh, whatever. What are your the, thoughts? One of the things about being a recovering academic is that immediately when you lay claim to that sort of descriptor, you indicate also you've got no prophetic bones in your body. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I I can uh, I, I think you and I both can uh, postulate where theologically probably it's going to go. I think we can sit here and say that uh, seminaries, you know, they're dead. We just haven't held the, we haven't held the services over the bodies yet. Uh, that 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 kind. I think that um, the net and the ability to um, gain information that way is uh, going to replace them. Or the seminaries will become things for for just folk who want uh, church history, who want uh, mm-hmm. that kind of, of training. Um, but the requirement for the, the seminary training is going to go. Uh, the nature of ordination, I think, is going to... I may be wrong. I think the ordination process is probably going to be um, done by the community itself, raising up its own ministers mm-hmm. uh, in much the same way as the first century church. I think uh, we will see... Uh, again, I may be wrong... But I think we will see, interestingly enough, a good deal, I think we're already seeing it, um, not authority authority of influence, maybe, rather than uh, political, authority of influence passing to uh, monastic communities uh, or Mm. to vowed communities of of some sort. Interesting. Um, whether it goes all the way to uh, constancy and obedience, I don't know, but (laughs) common table or at least vowed in some way. uh, I, I think will moral influence, moral influence. I think, mm-hmm. um, I think that uh, we are going to have to, within the next hundred years, decide where authority, uh, what authority really is. Especially, um, and this is of course an Anglican problem, but as you know, there is such a resonance between emergence and Anglicanism, uh, and far mm-hmm. more 
uh, resonance there than there is with any of the other standing parts of, of Christianity. Um, and for us, a, re, a redefinition of the role of reason and of the role of tradition. Um, looked at, there's a real dramatic growth, at least in the U.S. and Canada, in interest in church history. And part of that interest seems to come from um, some real sense that perhaps a good deal of the tradition of the church, at least for the last 1,700 years, has been uh, the product of political accommodation, accommodation uh, ecclesial accommodation, mm. rather than um, spirit-led. And I think that's part of the push against structure right now anyway. But um, the, the emergence of communities that are connected, if you will, by the net, or that are connected horizontally uh, in, in some way, I think is absolutely going to inform it. Now, does mm. that make the cohort? In other words, what, what, are, what happens when you get, as you do uh, right now, you get 50 uh, emergent gatherings and they come together and they make a cohort based on their geography. Do we get a cohort of cohorts? I can't believe that. I think that physicality and virtuality are now, at least in your country, more or less recognized as yes. the same. There is a law that can apply in virtuality. Uh, divorce can be granted. Uh, um, your courts gave that in London, I think, in May of last year. Granted mm -hmm. divorces in second life on the basis of alienation of affection. Um, which means that physicality and virtuality are going to become legally recognizable entities. And whatever the church is in the next hundred years, it's going to be in virtuality for its function uh, and for such organization as it arrives at, I think. And I don't think any of us knows what that looks like. Mm -hmm. um, no. Because we've not been. I think virtuality is the X factor here. The other X factor here is to go back to the hyphenated. The presbyemergence, the emergence, the babdemergence, the methemergence, the luthemergence, the anglemergence. Um, so far as I can tell, that is a new phenomenon, distinctly part of this upheaval. Yes. The presence of those who wish to keep the natal form yes. and infuse the new theology. What that's going to be, I don't know. Well, that comes, uh, that's what it comes about. Now, this is an interesting point, because you and I started discussing this by email briefly, because in your book, The Great Emergence, yeah. I really like, you talk about an issue of authority being at the heart of things. And you talked about how Sola Scriptura was so important as the point of authority from the Reformation onwards. Excellent. And then you and I had that quick chat, because it suddenly hit me. Well, I wonder just if it's Trinitarian ecclesiology, Trinitarian theology, the, the missio trinitatis, that whole sense of our, the church participating in the mission of God, is what's creating all these anglo-emergent, baptist-emergent, all the rest of it, because it's a coming together, because the new authority could be a trinitarian understanding of God at the heart of all of this. I think it's got to be. I was talking to um, a vineyard pastor, she's uh, quite sassy and wonderful, uh, and um, <laughs> they, they were, um, there was a meeting, uh, and I was a sort of eavesdropper. Uh, over uh, where now is the authority, uh, and not a top-down authority. Uh, mm. It's more a question of how now should we live, if you will. Um, yes. uh, who, where, where now are the fences uh, beyond which we cannot roam, if you want to put it that way. And she's saying something very much uh, like what you were just saying. 
that it's uh, Trinitarian. And, and she laughed and said it will be uh, Hooker's stool. Except, I don't know, in this country, um, when uh, emergents talk about Hooker, it's, it's Hooker's stand stool. Uh, just all yes. one word, uh, in quotes, Hooker's stand stool. Uh, in which the three-legged stool of Anglicanism, um, in which it was one leg was going to be scripture, and one was going to be reason, and one was going to be tradition. Um, and if you put the fourth leg in there, uh, this whole thing would tip, but three-legged stools don't tip. And she said, it's an old um, image, but it's probably the one that's going to ascertain. The question is, um, you know, what are the legs? And she said, scripture, we, we have to keep. There's no, no question. This is, the, this is central to all forms of Christianity. Uh, and then she just did what you did. So is one of the legs uh, the Holy Spirit? Or is one of the legs uh, the Trinity? Or is one of the legs, uh, you know, what, what are the other two going to be and what are we going? And then she very laughingly said, uh, and you Anglicans never, after you got uh, tradition and reason and scripture for your legs, you never said what was sitting on the stool itself, what the seat was. We're going to tell you what the seat was. Uh, and I, I had to chuckle. And then she said, and I think maybe Trinitarian is going to be what we put on the seat. Um, yes. And, of course, she was speaking metaphorically and, and imagistically, but um, very close to what you were saying in a more academic way, that it is the dance of the Trinity, the perichoresis, uh, that is going to be ultimately the body uh, of this thing. Mm. And uh, the scripture is going to be seen as serving that perichoresis. Um, and uh, I would hope that if indeed tradition and reason get uh, reconfigured, and I think there's reason to hope that history, the history of the faith, how we've got here, um, and one of the things I, I love most about emergency is they will say, so you tell me two stories in one cover, it's one story in one cover, and it's mine. Uh, and uh, the, the, the history of, of how we got here, and a certain recognition of being Judeo-Christian, as opposed to being just Christian. I, one of the few predictions I'm willing to make is that by 2050, I think, we'll be calling ourselves Judeo-Christian uh, instead of just uh, Christian. And now whether the Jewish community wants to assume that or not, I don't know. Um, but the, the reclaiming of history is a big part of the anchoring. Scripture okay. and, yeah. Wow, that's quite interesting. Please join us in the beginning of September 2010 for the second part of this ongoing conversation with Phyllis Tickle. Thanks for listening to the Moot Community Podcast. If you'd like more information on who we are and what we do, please visit www.moot.uk.net. Mm-hmm.